If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. From the creators of Cold Case Files and PD Stories comes an awesome new true crime podcast, I Survived. I Survived shares firsthand accounts of amazing stories of survival. We've got a teaser for I Survived at the end of the episode, so stick around to check that out and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PMF. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo on this side of the Skype and Sam Watson on that side. How you doing, man? Doing good, Steve. Turns out the improved audio from last week was messed up, or not last week, Monday, was messed up by me not pressing record on the thing. So we fixed that this time. In theory, did I you have, press record? I pressed record. I pressed record. I did too. You pressed record. Can you record. not promise anything this well, time, please? In theory, I'm saying in theory, the sound should be better today because we're using those separate audio streams. The video guys, I can't help you. You guys are at the mercy of Skype. For people listening, the sound should be better right now. And if it's not, it's not my fault this time. There you go. Promising things again. All right. Well, uh, we hope everybody is staying safe, making good decisions. And uh, yeah, we're just uh, we're here to help you get through all of this, talk some football and give you guys a little distraction. 
It's free agency, Steve. Not everybody's making good decisions. Not everybody's making good decisions. I mean, look, social distance yourself from everybody, but also social distance yourself from bad contracts. That's my PSA. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's a good one. Let's get into this. We're going to keep it tight here. We got a hard out again. So let's start with the big news this week. There's huge news everywhere, but Tom Brady has officially signed, or has he? They're still working on some language. Uh, almost officially signed with the Tampa Bay Bucks. I'm assuming that language is must be called the GOAT at all times. Is that what they're sorting out right now? Yeah, giving him keys to the city, all that kind of stuff. It takes yeah. some time to work through that kind of things, particularly when everything shut down. So what are your thoughts on this fit? I think we've talked about it a little bit. I, I've thought about it more. I didn't love the fit with Brady and Arians, but I think that the playmakers that they have might also just trump the fact that it's a new system and maybe one that on the surface doesn't seem like a great fit. I think they can overcome that. Yeah, I don't know if it trumps it, but it certainly makes it interesting. I mean, we obviously the Brady thing has been getting talked about for weeks. All the way along, I've kind of been convinced that he was leaving, I, but I've always been talking myself out of Tampa Bay being the logical destination. I know a lot of people, a lot of people are actually on this kind of early in terms of the Bucks being the place he was going to go. And I've always tried to put him somewhere else because it just the fit seems so awkward to me in terms of Brady in this scheme. Now, when I thought about it a bit longer, the personnel fit, I think, is actually better than I thought it was on the surface. So obviously, you've got Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans as the two superstar receivers. O.J. Howard was a non-factor with Jameis Winston and Bruce Arians, but with Tom Brady could potentially be a much bigger factor again. Um, and then, you know, so the offensive line, I think, overachieved last year, but it was pretty good last year. So even if they take a step back this season, um, you know, they could potentially add to that still in the draft and in second tier free agency. There's still work to be done there, but it's not bad. And then the defense we talked about before was heading in the right direction. You know, those defensive banks, the corners alone, I think, combined for like 22 pass breakups in the last eight weeks of the season. Those guys were cooking. So that defense is heading in the right direction as well. It's literally just Tom Brady being placed in this Bruce Arians downfield passing attack. And it's not that he can't do any of that stuff. I think he still has the arm to make any of those throws. It's just that stylistically, it's never been his game 100%. You know, he's had years where he's skewed in that direction more, but he's never gone like full Arians, which is what he's going to have to do this year. Yeah, I mean, look, there there is some Brady haters out there who just throw the term system quarterback out there and dink and dunk and all that stuff. The reality is he can throw to all levels of the field. I just think at this point in his career, is that something you want to get do more of or less? And if you if you want to say what his strength is, it's generally up to 20 yards. You know, he's pretty good throwing the ball down the field, but he's picked his spots uh, when throwing 20 plus yards. But the intermediate level is where Bruce Arians attacks the most. The slight difference is, again, Brady can do it, but it was almost always off of play action, and it was uh, it, they were more shot plays, intermediate and deep passes. With Arians, it's like all right, there's a few more five and seven seven step drops where you need to hang in there just a tick longer. Whereas Brady does have a comfort level of knowing pre snap and post snap where to go and just getting rid of it. Right here's this five yard out. I'll just take that right. instead of maybe waiting for the dig route to come in from behind it. So I mean, those are the types of things. It, a play call is a play call, and as long as those options are built in, then Brady can kind of tailor to the system to what he wants to do at this point, year 21 in his career. 
So the other thing that becomes interesting is this system inherently exposes a quarterback to more hits because you're asking him to hold the ball longer to attack the intermediate, the deeper levels of the field. And, you know, when a quarterback gets up in age, it's not necessarily the arm strength or mobility or whatever it is that goes. It's it's durability. It's you stop being made out of you know, cast iron the way you used to be and hits that wouldn't have been a problem before suddenly suddenly start to take a toll. Like Brady is one of the few players in the NFL, Steve, that's significantly older than we are. And we've reached the age, right? We've reached the age where, you know, stuff just starts to break that didn't before. And when it does break, it takes longer to bounce back. But you're not on the TB12 method, Sam. I know this for a fact. It's true. I haven't haven't had the avocado ice cream. Maybe that mitigates that kind of effect. But... I'm just saying that he's going to take a hit at some point during the season. I, Damn it, you have that. This is what I have, your uh, massage tool here. You've got the massage you gun. you need this? Man, I'm going to be – well, no, because we're not playing basketball at the Y anymore. But Good, because I'm socially distancing myself from you. But this thing, this is all Tom needs to get by, man. Yeah, but at some point in this season, he's going to take a hit that he wouldn't have taken if the offense was a horizontal, quick passing attack, and that might put him out for three weeks. You know what I mean? That's that's what happened to Brett Favre at the end, right? Brett Favre, I'm pretty sure now could go out there and sling a football like any quarterback in the NFL, but he reached the point where all the hits that he used to take throughout his entire career that never really did him that much damage, suddenly those things just started to break him into pieces, and he couldn't he couldn't deal with it physically anymore. I'll say this, too. Um, Chris Godwin, really good. He knows how to get open, good contested catch guy. Mike Evans is more of a contested catch guy. I think in Brady's world, that's like thrown to Gronk. Gronk. You know, they could both get open a little bit, but it's like, hey, th- that's going to be your back shoulder guy, your seam route guy. They still probably need one more receiver, and that's why I do wonder, where is New England with 34-year-old Julian Edelman? What would Tampa Bay have to give up to get Edelman? And think about him complimenting Godwin and Evans and those two tight ends, that could be a potentially, obviously a perfect fit because of the Brady-Edelman relationship. There's also reports now that, you know, now the Brady thing is done, like free agents are queuing up to sign in to Tampa Bay and be part of this right. now. But the Bucks probably weren't in this market at all. But what if a guy like Emmanuel Sanders suddenly decides that he'll take a pretty discounted deal to have one last go around to go with Tom Brady to the Super Bowl? Hold on, did he, did he officially sign in Dallas? Oh, did he sign in Dallas? I think he signed in Dallas. I knew that it I was. I knew it was. Uh, I knew he was in the reckoning for Dallas. So I didn't know it was done yet. I'm in. Uh, yeah, I need to confirm that. But, uh, right. well, but yeah, Sanders, that's a good point. Sanders or alternatives. You know, there's there's other guys out there who could potentially come in and be receivers that wouldn't have been on the Bucks' radar that are suddenly willing to take a much cheaper deal for a season or two because Tom Brady's there looking to get another ring. And they still have some cap space, too. So they're not completely up against the cap yet. And, you know, that's another another factor. So uh, let's wrap it up with this. We've been asking on all of our shows, does this make the Bucks the favorite in the NFC or even the NFC South? Like, where does this put them in the NFC hierarchy, in your opinion? I don't think it makes them favorites, honestly, for anything. I, I think they're probably still second favorites, even within their own division to the Saints. Um, but I think it makes them contenders. You know, they, they're going to run the Saints close, if not beat them to the division. They are probably going to make the playoffs, whether it's wild card or whether it's division winners. 
And when you get to the postseason and you have Tom Brady as your quarterback and you have a team that's good around him, like anything can happen. So I think this, it def, more importantly, it changes the balance of power within the NFL. So the Bucks become some kind of contenders. But let's, yep. let's talk about New England for a minute, right? Because the dynasty may be over. Right. That, and to me, that's honestly maybe even the more important or more, not more important, more interesting aspect of this is Tom Brady's over there making the Bucks into some kind of contender. What the hell are the Patriots right now? They have lost more than anybody else in free agency. They don't have that good a roster anymore. Even key defensive pieces are walking out the door. Are they genuinely thinking about like mailing it in this season? Let's see what we have in Jarrett Stidham. And then shoot for a Trevor Lawrence or Fields or whoever the top quarterback emerges at the end of next season and like do this thing properly. Look, I, I could see it. So here's the deal, right? The more we study quarterbacks and we know that they're the most impactful player on the field, but at the high end, it's even more than we even anticipated when we run the numbers on this stuff. And I think the Patriots through the years, the, up in New England, it's always been in Bill We Trust, right? There have been other off seasons where free agency hits. New England sits pat. They lose all of their great players, and then they're still good, right? I mean, this has been a pretty consistent thing. Right. They lost They lost everybody in 2017. Deion Lewis is gone. That guy's gone. This guy's gone, and they won the Super Bowl in 2018. But Tom Brady's been that X factor, right? You can make – you can mm-hmm. go, go out there with lesser personnel or take more chances with personnel or try to develop the Kyle Van noise of the world from afterthought into impact player because Brady covers a lot of those misses. They've made – a lot of mistakes across the years too. So now they're sitting there with one of the worst rosters. I think last year was one of the worst rosters, especially offensively that they've had. And, but Brady was still there. He was okay. Now Brady's not there to to cover things. Right. And now I don't care who's the coach. I don't care if it's Bill Belichick or not. When you're sorting through Andy Dalton, Joe Flacco, a banged up Cam Newton, I don't see how they're going to salvage this thing. I mean, the, Bill Belichick could get them to like seven and nine, right. eight and eight with one of those quarterbacks, right? Or you roll Stidham out there, and I don't think it's far fetched to say they're in, you know, tank for Trevor and or, or just yeah, see what they have mode, and then let's let's understand it's going to be a step back before we take a step mm-hmm. forward. Now look, Bill Belichick is one of the few people in the NFL who has enough money already in the bank, figuratively, to be able to say essentially, you know, behind closed doors, if not in public, that, look, forget 2020. It's done. It's, it's written off. We are focusing on the bigger picture here. We need to do this properly, get a legitimate new franchise quarterback. And the only way that's happening is to sacrifice this year for the greater we'll say, good. There we'll aren't that, say, like, we're a just, lot of people we're just trying to do what's best for the team in, in 2021. Right. I mean, yeah. A lot of people, I think, go into a a period with that idea and then they get like six weeks into it. They're 0 and 6 and they're like, crap, we actually we're in trouble here. We need to we need to start making moves or people are going to get fired. I think the I think Patriots and Belichick have the the kind of the intestinal fortitude to see it through and to be like, no, we will suck for 16 straight games. if that's what we need to do to get the number one overall pick. There's two dynamics at play here, right? There's how much ego is there between Belichick and Brady in general, right? Because now we know, even though Brady's 43, and it would be a little unfair to take what he does at 43, 44 and, and compare it to anything he did in his prime, but you know it's going to happen. Will. Right. Yeah. So Brady's gone this way, Belichick's gone that way. Brady, as you said, may have 
turn the Bucks into a contender. And if they win 10 or 11 games, it's like, wow, look what he did there. Belichick on the other side, is he going to say, you know what, give me Andy Dalton, I'll show them, I'll do it. Or would he say, you know what, I'll sacrifice. Everybody's going to be talking about how Brady was the key because the Patriots are sitting here with four wins the next year when Brady leaves. Is there an ego component there with Belichick? Or he is also the coach who has played the long game better than any other front office slash coach in history. And he will play the long game, to your point. He'll do it. He's okay with it I'd, because he's he could have another eight to ten years coaching, right? Brady can't be playing for more than two or three. So, uh, right. you know, maybe Belichick is okay playing the long game. It'll be that, fascinating to see. But the Patriots roster is bad. Yeah, and that's why I think there's a chance, right, is that the Patriots have always done this sort of gaming, the compensatory pick situation and playing for a year or two's in advance, trading picks for future picks and all that kind of stuff. And this is basically doing the same thing, just in a much more dramatic scale. It's like, no, 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 we are completely sacrificing this season because our quarterback just walked out the door and we don't have an adequate replacement on staff. Like we will- So if they were going to do that, I do wonder how much – I also don't see Belichick saying, oh, I'll help Tommy down there in Tampa Bay. I'll trade him Julian Edelman no. or James White. I mean, the two things that the Bucks need offensively are a pass-catching running back and essentially not, – not that Chris Godwin's great from the slot, but like the true shifty slot receiver. The right? underneath player. Right. And so Julian Edelman and James White are actually the two perfect fits for what the Bucks need down there. And I would be fascinated to see if they would be trade yeah. bait uh, for a Patriots rebuild. I think 30 other teams should be calling New England about any player on their roster and seeing if see, they can make them part with them. See if they're the interested. Bucks, the Bucks are getting nobody. There's no way Belichick is trading them anybody, even if it's uh, even if it is a good fit in a way of assembling draft capital. By the way, I just have a quick update from somebody who will remain nameless for the sake of uh, honest anonymity. Um, I quote: "Sanders hasn't signed. Steve is a tit." Hmm. Sorry. Thanks, Ben. So, just a quick update from Thanks, that. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Not Ben. Not Ben. Is that Neil? <laughs> Tell Neil to answer the Skypes I sent him <laughs> instead of sending me messages on the podcast. Thanks, Neil. All right. My bad. Um, anyway, Sanders would be a good fit with the Bucks. Good call, Sam. Sorry to show you up in the middle Thanks. of our show. All right. We got to keep this efficient here. Sorry. Um, I think so. I think next week we could do like a reset. You want to do like an AFC, NFC reset, go through each team, see where they stand. We'll give every team their love sure. next week. We're just trying to hit all the big stories right now. So Phillip Rivers to the Colts is one of the big moves. Couple big moves by the Colts, trading their first round pick for DeForest Buckner. Did we talk about that on the last pod? Was that in yet at the time? I don't I don't think it was either. Um, so trading so. the first round pick uh, for DeForest Buckner and signing Phillip Rivers, a one-year deal. What are your thoughts on where the Colts stand in these uh, couple big moves that they made? I like this a lot. Um, the Colts were one of the places I was talking to as destinations for Philip Rivers and for Tom Brady for the same reasons, right? Which is, I mean, we talked about this before, that the Colts have a really good roster top to bottom. They are in a, in a, they are a team that's capable of winning, and they, they thought they were going to go on a Super Bowl run with Andrew Luck before he retired. They were giving Jacoby Brissett a chance to step into that role and be better than just a career backup, and he wasn't able to do that. I know his box score numbers were kind of good, but you know, just watch the guy play. He didn't really elevate anything, to be honest. So they're willing to move on from Jacoby Brissett. And you get Phillip Rivers, who, look, I, I think as much as Tom Brady's demise last year was talked about a lot, I think Rivers was worse 
on tape. Um, but things are different in Indianapolis. And one, they've insulated themselves by it's literally a one-year deal. And you, you really don't see that for quarterbacks. Even guys at the end chasing a, you know, a ring, like Drew Brees just signed for a two-year deal, and God knows he's probably not playing that out. Quarterbacks rarely, rarely sign for a one-year deal anywhere. Um, right. Like starting quarterbacks. So that's interesting. But they can give Phillip Rivers the offensive line that he never had with the Chargers, like 15 years or whatever it is of complete inability to put any kind of blocking in front of him. Rivers will have that now in Indianapolis and all of these old quarterbacks, whether it's Brady, whether it's Breeze, whether it's Rivers, they've all reached the point in their careers, not where they can't play anymore, but where they just need more help than they used to. And it's not even that that makes them a complete product of everything around them. It's that they are better at maximizing the ability of people when you give them the platform to do it on. The Chargers couldn't give Rivers that platform last season. The blocking wasn't there. The Colts should be able to. Now, they still have work to do to give him some receivers to go to because right now it's like T.Y. Hilton and nobody. Um, I'm Right. I'm sure they expect Paris Campbell to take a step forward, but like, you know, that's... T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell being basically your only viable receivers is concerning. So you just traded away the first round pick that would have been an obvious place to do it in the draft. So let's they just have some work to do when it comes to giving him some weapons. But otherwise, I really like this move, and I think it's a move that makes them legitimate contenders in their division. Yeah, we've talked about the Colts making pretty good long-term moves over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, trading down, the Sam, they traded down so that the Jets could go get Sam Darnold, accumulated a ton of draft capital, bringing in Quentin Nelson, our friend Darius Leonard over the last couple of years, some productive players. There's still some work to do, though, and I think the most important components, right? They got uh, Rocky Asin, uh last year in the second round. Rocky Asin, or Asin. Me and my pronunciation. I think Scene was how it was oh, being said. Oh, I got said. it. I nailed it. So, um, I still think there's work to do in the important components. Yes, the offensive line will be completely different. I always joked about Rivers having the walls caving in on him uh, all the time from every angle with that offensive line. The number th- So the Colts had the number three line by our final rankings last year. They brought back Anthony Costanzo, so they're all intact. I love that. But I also, but the, the 13th mm-hmm. overall pick was prime spot for a Jerry Judy, for a yeah. C.D. Lamb, a Henry Ruggs, whoever – you know, the top receiver was at that spot and they traded it for DeForest Buckner. And look, that's a, that's a huge need too. the interior of the defensive line has not been good for a few years. I'll talk about this move later from the 49ers perspective. I think with the Colts, it's definitely a win now move. That's been meshed together with a whole bunch of good long-term moves, which I'm generally okay with. I just have concerns about the weaponry. I mean, rivers just was, was just throwing to Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, and Austin Eckler. And, all of those guys, other than T.Y., as you mentioned, are essentially better than what he has you know, with the Colts. So that would be the concern because he still needs a little bit of help. I do think the indoor, indoor, not dome, indoor environment will help. Hold on. You're right. That is, And that's another reason that I think it was a good place for Rivers or Brady is the indoor aspect of, of it. It's, it's definitely not nothing. It's not a massive deal breaker. So it's just it's achieving a tiny percentage yes. point here or there. Right. Absolutely. So it's got to help. Um, I think two things. One, um, I think Naheem Hines will be primed for a big role because he's got he's not Austin Eckler, but he's got skill sets that are in a similar vein that he could become a much bigger factor in that offense than he was uh, over the last couple of years. Um, And as much as so 
I think you're right. 13 would have been a perfect spot to snag one of the top drafts or one of the top receivers in the first round. Now they have to wait until the second round. The good thing is it's still such a good receiver draft that you should still be able to get an immediate starter that can impact right away in the second round. So, you know, a guy like T. Higgins posted workout numbers that didn't exactly set the world alight. Does he now slip out of the first into the second and become a target for them there? And then he's a perfect Rivers type of target, right? Rivers has always had that big guy to throw right. to. We liked his pairing with Mike Williams and all those guys through the years. So I think there's going to be somebody there in the second round when they pick um, to make moves and snag. Then the, the last point I wanted to make is with the Buckner thing that so they they draft him a first round pick for Buckner is it's fine. Right. And then then the thing is, you gave him a monster contract as well, which yeah, is it overpaying? It might be. But the Colts. So the thing I don't know that that many people appreciate with the salary cap is there's also a floor, right? At some point, you actually have to spend a certain degree of money, and the Colts needed to spend some money. So what's what's a better way of doing that, right? Grabbing some free agents and just throwing money at them because you needed to spend, or getting a guy that you do think is a long-term building block fundamental piece of your defense and, you know, paying him top dollar. So I don't hate the Buckner move for that, they, they got a very good player. They gave him monster money that they needed to spend. And it helps them kind of, you know, just get past the salary cap floor and still be able to have a ton of money to build around Rivers. Yeah. Uh, from that perspective, it's not bad. You know, it's still, it's still, look, they're, I think they're in good shape. Uh, the defense yeah. has still some question marks on the back end, I think, though, as far as their consistency and how they're going to play. But overall, I like the move. Philip Rivers to the Colts. AFC South, how hard could it be? Uh, Teddy Bridgewater or Stephon Diggs? Where do you want to go next? Uh, let's do the Diggs thing first from the Bills' point of view because we kind of talked a little bit. We talked a lot about the Vikings last podcast, Steve. We did, Sam. We did. So let's cover it from the Buffalo perspective. <laughs> Thank right? you. It's a Vikings-free podcast. All right, let's make Buffalo Bills fans happy. Hashtag Bills Mafia. I think you've got one of the best, if not the best, receiving cords now. Stephon Diggs. Cole Beasley in the slot. John Brown, the deep threat. Go get him, Josh Allen. I think it's a fantastic trio. People got mad at me when I tweeted that. I tweeted out when they made that move that all of a sudden the Bills have the best wide receiver group in the NFL. And people were so stu- so mad. Now, Who was mad? A lot not, of those, not Bills Mafia. It's, it's hard to know because I've muted so much of Bills Mafia at this point sure. that for all I know, they were all endorsing it and I just didn't see it. Um but a lot of people, so a lot of people that were mad were dumb, right? Because they were talking about groups that had tight ends in there. And it's like, no, no, I said specifically wide receiver group. So that doesn't count. Right. Um, and then a lot of people were, were pointing to the Bucks, right? Because they have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, the only two receivers in the NFL last season to both be above 85 in PFF grade. It's like, okay, who's number three? I think there's value to a third option, right? Which was my point. Right. So... The other thing is that I think that Bills were... I mean, we talked about this when we projected that if they got Amari Cooper, they would have the best receiving trio in the NFL. I think the same thing is true with Stephon Diggs, and I'm not 100% convinced that Diggs isn't right. a better player than Amari Cooper anyway. So, and, and honestly, they're kind of similar in how they win in terms of, you know, everywhere with route running and skill, you know. So I think Diggs gives them arguably, let's say, the best wide receiver trio in the NFL it gives them three guys that all win with separation in digs. He wins with other ways as well. He's good after the catch. He's the best receiver in the NFL in terms of contested catch 
win rate over the last three seasons. So three years put together, Diggs is number one, despite being like six foot 180 or whatever he is. Um, so they have literally a guy that wins everywhere. They have a guy that wins deep and with route running, and they have a guy that wins underneath and with route running. Effectively, you have the best possible trio of receivers for just gaining separation and painting Josh Allen the best picture possible on every single snap. At that point, it's all down to him. It's it's all up to him and see what he can do with that. So, yeah, the thing with Allen is he did take great strides, as we had talked about quite a bit on the podcast. We gave credit where credit was due. His short area accuracy was better last year. Still missed, He still misses more throws than the average NFL quarterback, but up to 20 yards, he was much better. And to your point, these are all route runners. They're all guys that can get open. Deep passing numbers in general do tend to fluctuate, and they are generally dependent on receivers. So as ugly as some of Josh Allen's deep passes were last year, landing out of bounds or whatever, dealing with the Buffalo wind, whatever, whatever the deal was, Diggs will get open deep every now and again. John Brown will get open deep every now and again. That stuff should, like he should hit a few more deep passes next year. That's not what uh, is going to make or break his season. It'll still be all the stuff up to 20 yards continuing to develop there. And then I'll add in that Allen's rushing ability is a factor, right? His scrambling ability is difficult to contend with. So now as far as just offenses that are difficult to defend, the three receivers, an emerging Dawson Knox, who's a pretty good athlete, and Josh Allen and his rushing ability, that's difficult. I mean, that's that's one of the more difficult offenses to uh, uh, to prepare for in a given week. And my take on Josh Allen has always been, you know, from like a fantasy point of view, he could be like that 26, 28 touchdown pass guy, eight rushing touchdown guy. And it's like from a fantasy stand- standpoint, he could have one of those monster seasons where he just scores a ton of touchdowns and is productive. Uh, the problem is always the negative games, right? Having three interceptions, some fumbles. And, but he still has that high-end potential to have huge games, and that just goes through the roof now, I think, with Diggs over there. So I uh, like the move a lot for Buffalo. I do as well. I think, look, I, whether you agree or not with the fact, with the, with the notion that Josh Allen is definitely the answer, he's their franchise quarterback, he'll be there for the next 10 years and be the reason they're winning games. I'm a huge fan of teams – if they think it doing everything humanly possible to give that guy the, the best chance to succeed. So, you know, we might differ from Buffalo in terms of our projection and outlook of what Josh Allen will be, but they believe in him and therefore they're going out to get him the best receiving group that they can possibly assemble to, to let him succeed or, or fail because of it. Like they now have a phenomenal group of receivers who I think not only are they good, but I think they win in the way that is smartest to assemble people to win in today's NFL. Like if you are going to get receivers that all have a common trait in terms of how they get, they get open or how they win uh, their win on their routes, getting guys that will gain separation through route running and just be open all the time, I think is the best place to start. And the bills have got three of those guys. And that's the, and that's the best way to yes. mitigate accuracy issues. We've said that with Lamar for a while. If you're a guy that's not exactly pinpoint, if you have two yards of separation to throw to a guy, it's harder to miss him. So even if it's not perfect, just throwing a catchable pass is valuable. Uh, one other thing, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to write about this next week. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar, all drafted the same year. You have last year's first rounders. Think about a couple years ago, Allen, Darnold, and Rosen. They all walked into maybe the three worst 
offensive situations in the NFL. Rosen was in Arizona with no playmakers, no line. Darnold still has no line and no playmakers. Josh Allen's situation as a rookie was bad. Since that point, they've kind of retooled the offensive line. It still has some work to do. And they've added John Brown, Cole Beasley, and now Stephon Diggs. They and Dawson Knox. They've done a great job of putting playmakers around him while still keeping some pretty good consistency on defense. So kudos to the Bills. It's looking pretty good, at least on paper. Well, plus All right, let's, Tom Brady just walked ahead. out of your division. So the Bills, they're kind of in they're almost in the spot yeah. we thought the Browns were a year ago, which is, oh wow, all of a sudden your favorites in your division and things are looking up. Like, obviously, it didn't go well for the Browns last year, uh, but I don't see a Baltimore coming on the horizon for the Bills to have to worry about. So all of a sudden, they might be the class of the AFC East. Yeah, and that was something you and I talked about on the podcast a couple of years ago. Like, if you're if you're the Jets, Dolphins, or Bills, you should be looking for 2020, 2021, whenever Brady's going to be done with New England and say, okay, that's when we want to peak to now – hopefully take over the division for a couple of years. And the Bills, I think, are in the best spot. The Dolphins are doing some decent things as well. They're adding all these corners to try to cover these Bills receivers. But for, for you know, first time in 20 years, the AFC East looks like it's wide open, but the Bills appear to be the favorite. All right, let's go to the Carolina Panthers and what they're doing. Teddy Bridgewater signs a multi-year deal down there. What are your thoughts on that? Because yeah. we were talking about the Panthers going full tank mode. Is this a hybrid not tank, but it's just like, hey, let's see what we have. But, you know, it keeps our options open for the next quarterback as well. Yeah, this whole this whole Bridgewater dynamic is kind of interesting because apparently the two teams interested were Chicago and Carolina. Yep. Um, there were reports that the Bears offered him essentially the same kind of deal, and he didn't want to take it because he wasn't convinced that he would be the guy there. Like, they... There was still the the shadow of Trubisky, the idea that it might be an open competition that wouldn't really be open and that Trubisky would win it again. You know what I mean? Um, he just wasn't convinced that the Bears were willing to buy into him as the starter, which by you know uh, implication means he was convinced of that when it comes to Carolina. Now, the contract is interesting because... And again, there's there's slightly differing reports as to what exactly it is, whether it's two full years guaranteed or like one and a half years guaranteed, but three years, 60 million of which an indeterminate amount of that is guaranteed. Um, that's kind of so it looks those headline numbers are just oh, OK, right. he's the starter for a few years. But that's kind of like the deal that Mike Glennon signed in Chicago. And then a month later, they drafted Trubisky, traded up to draft Trubisky. And then like a year later he was stumped. You know, right. He was out of the building entirely. So things can change pretty quickly. But in theory, he should be the starter for at least a year, and then we'll see what happens beyond that. But I don't think it precludes Carolina from drafting the heir apparent, even like in the first round this year, and potentially you know, Bridgewater being on borrowed time immediately. What makes it really interesting to me, though, is the Bridgewater connection with Joe Brady, who's the new offensive coordinator in Carolina, who was uh, Joe Burrow's pass game guru in LSU. So you've got a guy who's A, coming from the college ranks, which was which is very sort of chic right, right. now in today's NFL. It's the, the latest thing, right? But what we've seen is you st- if you have a, a, a re- you know, relatively radical college offense, you still can't just pull that in to the NFL immediately, plug it in as as it was, and expect it to function, right? We were all 
so excited about the Cliff Kingsbury bringing the air raid to the NFL. And we saw like a month of it, 10 personnel, everything, empty sets. And then like a month later, it was actually, we're just going to go back to running. You know, we're going to heavily modify this thing for the NFL. So Joe Brady is going to be bringing whatever version of his offense, which is, you know, the LSU offense, which has Saints origins, which is another Teddy Bridgewater connection. So he's bringing whatever version of this is going to come to the NFL and they are going to be figuring out what needs to change in order for it to be successful for Carolina going forward. And I think Bridgewater becomes a really important part of helping them do that. Like he's going to be in a fairly unique position of sort of helping them develop an offense on the fly in, in a way you don't see many quarterbacks do. And I think would be a big help to that team. So I think that's a big part of bringing him in is this familiarity with the scheme and the fact that the scheme in its current format doesn't really exist yet. So he's going to be helping build it. So do you think he's a bridge quarterback I, still? I do think he's a kind of, yeah, I, I think he's going to be a bridge with the added responsibility of being like a key part of like building this offense, the NFL version of it. Yeah. I, look, I think, I think Teddy is very clearly in that middle tier of quarterback that I call 60, 70% of guys. If I was building a team, he'd be a, he would be the perfect of bridge quarterbacks. You know, I don't, I don't know that you ever truly want to go full tank mode and just deplete resources to the point where you're clearly going to win zero or one games, right? Like, you, I don't know if you ever want to do that, but I also think you can make a number of moves that set you up better long-term. And I think the Panthers should continue to make moves that set them up more for years two and three rather than year one. So Bridgewater's fine for that. Um, I still think the Christian McCaffrey trade should be on the table. They've already talked about trying to trade Cam. We'll see if anything ever comes of that or if they have to release him. But oh, they'll, they'll release they'll him release if they can't him trade him. I just, trade I, I'm curious. You know, the, the, the debate there, if you're a team, do you trade him, give up assets, or he's on the open market and you probably have to pay more than the 20-whatever million he's due. You might have to pay 30. You might have to pay 28, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. But at, but at that point, the compensation is always like a nominal, you know, here's a – He's a sixth or seventh round draft pick just to jump the queue. So it's not, you know, yeah. it's, it's minimal concern in terms of giving up assets. Um, the thing about Bridgewater, though, in terms of like, is he a bridge quarterback or not? Um, my thing is, so is he the starter in 2020? I would say like 100% yes, right? Is he the starter in 2021? I would say that's probably 50 50. Is he the starter in 2022? I would say there's like a 25 or lower percent chance that that is true. So that that makes him some kind of bridge to me, right? Is he's he's definitely the short term thing, but he's probably not the uh, he's probably not the intermediate. I mean, he might not be the intermediate, and certainly isn't the long term answer. All right, so Carolina still in long term mode. Uh, while everybody's at home, Sam, you know what? One thing you can do. Is to pass What's the time, that, Steve. Or shave you your do? nuts. Yes, yes, you can. You could do that, and the only way to do that is with Manscaped. It's been a while, guys. I'm sure it has, but you have some time now. Take a second to thank our sponsor, Manscaped, for holding you accountable. Get rid of the funk and shave your junk. That's what everybody should be doing. Manscaped.com with the promo code PFF. That's where you can get 20 percent off the perfect package 3.0. Lawnmower 3.0, 
That's what it's all about here, Sam. We're, we're making advances with some of the best uh, ball shaving technology already on the market. Absolutely. And the biggest advance is cranking up the RPM because, as everybody knows, more power is better. So, you know, as as horsepower in cars has been cranking up over the last 20, 30 years, so the RPMs in the lawnmower have been cranking up, getting steadily higher and higher. Now we're at 7,000 RPM to redline and take off anything you want from the junk. Whip it right out of there with 7,000 RPM of power. Third generation trimmer, the lawnmower 3.0, features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be mm. nick-free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin-safe technology. And, of course, let's not forget the crop preserver, your anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer, Sam. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why not put deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? When you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit at manscapes.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers get a new replacement blade, and that shows up to your door every three months, making sure your trimmer is always fresh. And then for a limited time, sub- subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. It's the Shed Travel Bag, which is $39 of value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. It's all at manscaped.com, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D, manscaped.com, 20% off, plus free shipping with the promo code PFF. That's manscaped.com, promo code is PFF. What a perfect time for the Perfect Package 3.0, Sam. Absolutely. Free shipping is awesome. And that travel bag is great. I've been using that before we were uh, housebound and not allowed to travel places. That's what I was using to travel before you were, you know, yeah. before you weren't allowed to travel. All right. Let's go to uh, today's news today, Thursday, March 19th. Uh, Darius Slay traded from the Detroit Lions to the Philadelphia Eagles, third and fifth round picks. And the Eagles smart move locked him up or extended him three years, 50 million tacked onto his deal. Um, that's a smart move because, yes, other teams kind of, you know, trade for a guy and then don't have a deal in place. And then that, the player has the leverage. Other teams, so pretty good huh? move by the Eagles. Other What's teams, that? huh? Naming no names, Dallas. No, no, no names, Dallas Cowboys, Houston Texans. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts on Slay coming off of one of the worst years of his career after five years of really incredible consistency? Slay's really interesting. So it <laughs> Like we've talked before about how coverage is really volatile and also that it's more it's more vulnerable to the quirks of who you're playing than a lot of other positions, because, you know, that that cliche of the perfect pass and the perfect catch beat the perfect coverage every time. Um, And Slay appears to be like a case study in that, because even if you look just on Twitter at all the highlights people are posting, like half of that guy's highlights are receivers making catches. Like he's in really tight coverage every time, but the guy is still catching right. it at the other end. Like Stefan Diggs gets him for a bunch of these plays where he's 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 all over Diggs and Diggs still makes a the catch. There's a few other plays where it's happened, and it's just it's sort of fascinating that I've never seen a player where so many of his highlights are what would be low light production plays. I he's giving up a play on that uh, on that particular snap. Um and I, but it's I think it's a perfect example of how guys grade and production can go down but when you sort of throw on the tape and look at him and say all right the traits are still there for this guy to bounce back in 2020 and beyond right so the eagles looking at him they see the bad grade they see the poor uh, production they see him giving up a lot of plays but when you, you look at how they're happening they see him still in tight coverage still being able to mirror receivers still being able to play 
in at a consistently high level right up until the catch point right. on a consistent basis. And you're like, okay, that's the kind of thing that doesn't always go this way, right? Next year, it'll bounce. it's like losing a bunch of close games, right? If you lose 10 games by three points, just by logic, it's going to swing back in the other direction at some point, and you, you bank on that. So the Eagles have banked on the idea that Darius Slay is going to go back to being Darius Slay, and a lot of those plays that receivers were getting, despite him being draped all over them, are going to fall incomplete next year. Yeah, he's coming off, as I said, his uh, his worst season since his rookie year, but there's the fickle nature of coverage, as you mentioned, because his previous years, 2014 through 18, coverage grade of 70, 77, 80, 80, 78, Last year dropped to 56.9. So you're banking on multiple years of really good play from Slay. And for those of you that do have PFF Elite and can go check out Premium Stats 2.0, click on the Darius Slay page and see all this stuff. If you're evaluating a player, using your two or or three-year sample size is generally the better way to do it anyway. So um, I think a lot of people get caught up in what happened last year. Other than when you get a guy that's you know 42 years old or something like that, where there could be that legitimate downtrend, Slay's still in the prime of his career. He's going to be 30, right? Um, so I think he still has a pretty good a couple of years left. Um, for the Eagles, they also add Javon Hargrave. And I think there was probably two – there was only like a handful of players that hit free agency that are like 25, 26 years old who you say, okay – these guys are legitimately going yeah. into their prime and you can lock them up. Javon Hargrave's one of them. So I think it's a good couple moves for the Eagles, add more defensive line depth. And then, you know, they've really needed help in the secondary the last couple of years, despite Eagles fans telling me not to mock draft corners for them last year at this time. Good moves by the Eagles. You like that then? Yeah, I like them both. I think you're, I think they're right to bank on the idea that Darius Slay will bounce back. I think he's, his tape is still good, even if he struggled in terms of getting unlucky the last couple of years. And I'm with you. I think Hargrave was a really good move as well. I think Hargrave and DJ Reader were two players I was both really high on coming into this free agency. I, they both went for a lot more money than I was expecting them right. to, but I think that's just a realize, it's just a, a realization that the NFL was seeing the same thing, which is young, dominant run defenders that proved that they could be effective on passing downs as well coming into their prime and you know being the perfect target for anybody that wants d-line help all right let's discuss a couple more corners because the two top corners on the pff free agent board also signed in the last couple days byron jones goes to the miami dolphins and i am fascinated with this pairing with Xavier howard a guy that you and i have talked about since college as one of those guys who in one in one week, he looks like Richard Sherman. The next week, he looks like a bad Big 12 corner. I know Dolphins fans were really high on him because he had a bunch of interceptions a couple years ago, banged up last season. The interceptions don't tell the whole story, but he has he has some incredible games and ball skills and all that stuff. If Xavier Howard's more of a number two, I think that's huge for what he's capable of. So I love this pairing of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard down there in Miami. It's also a really interesting pairing just in terms of that interception discussion, right? You've got one cornerback who's probably yeah. overrated because he had a bunch more interceptions than is likely to continue. And you have another corner who's probably underrated because he's got like one interception in the last two years and basically doesn't get them. So in both cases, the interceptions probably don't do a great job of telling the whole story about that cornerback. Um, By the way, you, you were just talking about the fickle nature of coverage, right? And you were talking about actual targets. Actual targets, you might have 60, 70, 80 in a year. 
how much more ridiculous is it to judge a guy based off of out of, you know, 500 coverage snaps, the three interceptions or six interceptions or zero interceptions out of 400, 500 snaps? It is ridiculous. It's so it's so dependent on a million other factors. Well, yeah, it would be it would be an absurd way of measuring somebody's performance, even if you assume that every one of those interceptions was 100 percent the cornerback making the play. Right. Right. Like you you made a great coverage play. You read the route concept. You jumped it. You beat the receiver to the spot and you picked it off. Right. If every one of the picks was one of those plays, it would be a stupid way of measuring coverage. But as we know, a ton of interceptions are like the quarterback was under pressure, misread it, threw the ball up in the air, and you were literally standing there and it dropped into your arms. Like it's a play that you could make. Um, like those are plays that are in that interception tally that you're using to judge a guy based off seven plays over 600. Like it's, it's an utterly absurd and stupid way of measuring performance. Now, that doesn't mean that the number is meaningless. Like there are cornerbacks that will get more interceptions than others because they are gambling ball hawk type of corners. And that means something. It's just not not a number that you should use in isolation. Similarly, there are corners that will never get many interceptions because they're bad at that kind of thing. But it doesn't mean that they're not good cornerbacks because the primary role of a good cornerback is to stop somebody catching the ball, not to catch it yourself. Now, and especially... You know, Miami's going to play as much man coverage as anybody. So, yeah, we're going to see these guys locked up in man-to-man quite a bit, uh, maybe against the best receiving core in the NFL twice a year, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, so, yeah, I like this move for Miami. I think Miami's made some good moves, some not-so-good moves. The not-so-good would be, you know, Eric Flowers. Um, I want to talk about God, some of those. Yeah. I mean, real quick, it's like the NFL is still using games played as a stat to evaluate offensive linemen. I mean, well, this guy started 40 games. He's got experience. Give him 10 million. It's absurd. Are they even evaluating how well these guys I mean, play? I think there is a genuine problem when it comes to offensive line depth and availability in the NFL. Now, I'm not saying the problem is bad enough that it explains some of these signings in that, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to be stuck starting crap on the offensive line, let's at least make it be cheap crap. Um, but how about this George Fant in the Jets. Okay, yes. I don't want to give it. We're going to do our best, our favorite and least favorite moves later on. I mean, this may or may spoiler not alert, it might be George Fant. I got, you got a ridiculous number. I'll save the number for later. <laughs> anyway, Miami's made some good moves and some not so good moves. Uh, I thought even just like drafting Christian Wilkins last year in the first round as just like a run-stopping interior defensive lineman, just an unexciting way to start the rebuild there. Uh, but they have all the draft capital. They still have to, you know, find their long-term quarterback. They did add Byron Jones. There's still a lot of work to be done in Miami. I just lean more towards the Byron Jones type moves than the uh, the Eric Flowers type of moves. Yeah, and I really like the Byron Jones fit because, as you say, they're going to run more man coverage than anybody else. I think Byron Jones is at his best playing man coverage, so I think that part is a fantastic sink. You know, I think so. The Dolphins. We have uh, Kevin Cole, um, who you can find on Twitter doing this kind of um, basically a a plus minus in terms of how much teams have added or lost in free agency or the offseason using our wins above replacement, using our grades, using all these things plugged into a model to essentially project how much better or worse teams have gotten. Right. And the Dolphins are among the winners so far in in free agency when it comes to uh, the like wins added effectively via this 
this way of measuring. So just for this year, right? Yeah. Just for 2020, just this off season. Yeah. So they're behind the Colts and the Cardinals. Um, so I think you have to like a lot of what they've done. They've added some good players. They've added some pieces that should help them get better. But it's not to say that every move they've made has been perfect. Colts are up there mostly because of Philip Rivers, the upgrade yeah. over Jacoby Brissett, DeForest Buckner, Buckner helping, and of course the Cardinals with uh, DeAndre Hopkins. So our number two cornerback on the free agent board is Chris Harris of the Broncos, now staying in the division, going to Los Angeles Chargers, a team that we never really considered because on paper they've got one of the better slot corners in the league. I know Desmond King did not have a great season last year, but it didn't look great. But I've got insight. And that's what I'm trying to set you up, Sam. I'm trying to set you up. So, right, so what's like the fit? I've you got have Casey Hayward outside corner. You have a question mark at the other cornerback position, the outside cornerback position. Desmond King, really good slot. You have Derwin James at safety, Nasir Adderley at safety. What are the Chargers going to do with all of these players? Right. So everybody's, you know, Chris Harris chooses the Chargers. Everyone's like, huh, that's a kind of strange fit given Desmond King. I have the answer because Chris Harris is a friend of the show. Are you allowed to say? So, who knows? Let's find out. <laughs> so what, Let's see what you do is you fire a DM at Chris Harris and you find out, hey, Chris, you know, you when you were on the PFF NFL podcast, you told us you uh, you wanted to play in the slot. You wanted to go back to doing what you were at, what you were best at. What are the, what's the deal with the Chargers? Are, are you, did you have to, are you playing outside or did you, are you going to be allowed to play the slot? It's like, nope. They let me, they said, they told me I'm going to be playing the slot. Desmond King's going to be moving to safety. So Chris Harris does wind up in a great situation for him. He does get allowed to go back to playing in the slot, being that do it all player who can blitz, who can defend the run, who can play coverage, who I think that's where he's at his very, very best, especially given his age. Desmond King, who was a fantastic slot corner, big body guy. The guy's north of 200 pounds at like, what, 5'10"? He's short, stocky. Um, a lot of people wanted him as a safety anyway coming out of the draft. Right. So he gets to move to safety. Now you've got this secondary where you've got Casey Hayward, true number one. Number two is still a question mark heading into the draft. And, I mean, as much as everybody thinks that you know, this – you know, rolling with Tyra Taylor thing is a joke and they're still going to draft a quarterback at the top. What if they draft Jeffrey Akuda at the top of the draft? There's your number two, right? You've got Chris Harris in the slot. You've got Desmond King at safety. You've got Derwin James as your Jack, uh, Joker player. And then you've got Nazir Adderley who can be the free safety deep guy. You've got a sort of big nickel package already built for you. Like the Chargers could end up playing big nickel slash dime defense for you know the majority of this season and being a, an incredible coverage unit on the back end in division where that's more important than it is anywhere else. That's the thing. You have to stop the Chiefs, right? You don't always make moves to just beat your division rivals, but this isn't just like, hey, beat the Chiefs. This is how you win in the NFL. Well, uh, it's rare. Yeah. It's, it's, you throw a ton of resources at coverage players, but yes, you have to beat the Chiefs, both in your division and you know in the AFC. So I think where you do make moves to beat teams in your division is where a team in your division does something where you're like, oh crap, A, that's going to be there for the next 10 years, and B, it's going to be in the way of the Super Bowl for the next 10 years. Like, the Chiefs True. aren't just good and a problem within their division. The Chiefs are now the team that is going to be between you and a Super Bowl in the AFC Championship game every single season because they have Patrick Mahomes and a devastating passing game. If you don't have a plan to beat that, you're not making it to the Super Bowl. So 
it, it is job one for any team in the AFC right now. I love your Jeffrey Okuda comment. You literally right. can never have too many players. And what Derwin James adds to that mix, they lost Thomas Davis. They don't have the best linebackers in the world. He could play linebacker, right? Mr. <laughs> Adderley can play that true free safety role. Desmond King could play that true free safety role. Desmond King can slide down in the slot, kick Harris outside. You could play matchups, or you just throw seven awesome coverage players out there in any given week. Over the last few years, three-year PFF coverage grade, Casey Hayward second, Chris Harris ninth, and that's coming off of not a great year when he had to play outside. Right. Desmond King third, Derwin James fourth in his couple years in the NFL, and this year Adderley, we don't know yet, but I really like it a lot uh, by the Chargers. This is why I think they should get Jameis, man. Forget Tyrod. If you're trying to beat the Chiefs, you get Jameis throwing the ball up to Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, and Austin Eckler. You have to win shootouts in that division. Tyrod's not going to do it. He's not. Tyrod is not going to win a shootout. Jameis. On the other hand, Jameis is going to make you want to kill yourself after three weeks because he keeps throwing the ball to linebackers. So It's an uncomfortable, productive offense when it's all said and done. Those two guys... You're either going to you know, score 45 against the Chiefs or you're going to lose 49-3 to because he you know, threw four pick sixes. If I remember rightly, those two guys were in a really similar spot through completely different methodologies in that um, you know yards per turnover-worthy play metric that we created a while ago. You're trying to remind me again. Let me put that I on am. my I'm, I'm trying to subtly remind you to make me that spreadsheet. But in addition to that, Sam, I'm pretty sure those two guys were actually in a w- really weirdly similar place in terms of how much production they get per idiotic move they make with the ball. Post it. It's nice. going up with my post-its. I, by the way, I, my, my it's home just office set up here. I have post-its, I think, since 2016 that I just Man, never got just, around you're, to. You're giving Ken, like, uh, DTs. He's, like, wigging out at the idea of post-it notes. Yeah, this doesn't mean that coronavirus right. was here. This is like, here's this Baker Mayfield throw and Sam Darnold throw from college that I was supposed to go back and just take a look at. For I have reason. one post-it note. Does that help? I'll get to it. What's that? I have one post-it note. Is that is that the same thing? No. Also, I've got about for eight. anyone that's in, so one of the things that's fascinating me right now with this whole work from home thing for everybody is seeing like everybody's DIY setup at home, right? Including like you know big TV celebrities who are now yeah. doing this from like their couch or their bed in one right. situation I saw. But so for a little sneak peek of mine, right? I have this thing. Uh, where is it? This side. Uh, uh, there. Uh, there. Uh, actually, mirroring over your head is really hard to do. Let's just point at it this way, right? You have to look at the other screen. This thing up here is like a cradle for an iPad that is attached to a a shelf over there, but it's too big for my phone, which is how I'm doing these like video hits. So there's some duct tape double-sided onto it. So I stick the phone against this thing and then stand in front of it. That's my uh, DIY setup right here. It's not quite from the, it's not quite from the bed like I've seen other people do, but it's, it's in the ballpark. Yeah, pretty impressive. You're, you're nice. winning the DIY stuff. Uh, let's wrap it up. There's so much to talk about, man. I, I really think next week we'll, we'll give every team their due yeah. love. We'll we'll give every team five minutes or so on uh, what they've done and what they still need to do. Let's wrap it up before we we'll give our best and worst moves. But before we do that, the Bears trading for Nick Foles plus a few other moves. The nine tight end roster. Yes. Uh, maybe Trubisky becomes number ten. Uh, they traded for Nick Foles. 
is this an upgrade lateral move is this the move is this the right move for the bears the bears seem to have been approaching this offseason with the idea of anybody but trubisky i don't i don't really care who just give me a quarterback and i'm not tremendously interested with which one it is i think honestly they've basically been in the sweepstakes for every quarterback that's been available yeah and in the end somehow despite this incredibly like target rich environment if you're a quarterback needy team they have come away with the one quarterback that i'm not guaranteed to be better than trubisky now he probably is but let's remember that that nick falls has got some god-awful tape on his resume in the past. He has been a terrible quarterback for stretches. Now, he's also been a phenomenal quarterback in stretches, which is something Trubisky probably won't ever get to. But the idea that you can, like, survey the quarterback landscape, see all of these different available options, and decide on the one that, A, you had to pay to get, B, you had to take on a contract that was clearly bloated beyond reasonable proportions, and C, might not actually be better than Trubisky is kind of staggering. Like at the moment, Nick Foles' one and only selling point for the Bears is that he isn't Trubisky. The end. Yeah, this is one of my favorite tweets of all time was digging up Nick Foles and his volatility after the 2017 season when they went to the Super Bowl. He only played in a handful of games, but over a two-year stretch, he had the two highest-graded games that the Eagles saw. So, you know, Carson Wentz started almost every game. Foles had the two highest graded games, but also right. four of the five worst. Yeah. I mean, so Carson Wentz, his range of outcomes is here. Nick Foles is way out here off the screen. Sorry, podcast listeners. I'm reaching my arms wide, my six foot 10 wingspan. That is the range of outcomes. He might be on a, so Jameis is the king of volatility right. in game, right? From throw to throw, it's Jameis. Game to game, Nick Foles might be cesium. Game to game, Nick Foles might be the most volatile quarterback in the NFL. The one, so I said his only selling point was that he wasn't Trubisky. I'll give him one more, which is he has performed at his yes. best in this coaching tree system. So whether it's Kansas City, um, the Andy Reid tree, whether it's Philadelphia with Doug Peterson, now Chicago, Matt Nagy, that system has done well for Nick Foles in the past. I think he's a quarterback that that does respond well to quarterback-friendly systems in a way that Trubisky hasn't yet, right? Trubisky has failed despite the system being set up for him to be good. I think Foles is more likely to respond positively to that and skew towards being better than Trubisky, but ultimately it's still... It's hard to love. This I just move. tweeted out all those game grades. It was a tweet from last year at this time because I was trying to tell Jaguars fans what they might be getting. So now I'm telling <laughs> Bears fans, here's what you might be getting with Nick Foles. The high end stuff has been good. So the familiarity is important, though. And now people are adding the whole disease thing and practice time. And you know, there's a lot uh, wrapped into this thing here. The whole disease the thing. The virus could uh, could affect practice time and preparation time so there's you know yeah. there's something to that as That's far true. as Foles uh being a familiar face if you guys want all those grades we have a great deal for you guys this week nfl 2020 is your promo code that'll get you 25 percent off every pff subscription um i believe it's through next week so go check it out if you guys uh, again are looking for a distraction something to do uh, while you're stuck at home highly suggest pff elite we're giving you 25 percent off promo codes nfl 2020 
Let's wrap it up, Sam, with our favorite moves and our least favorite moves. What did you like the most so far this week? Yeah, I mean, the only answer to this is... So the only answer to either of these things are one side and then the other of the New Compkins trade that was the Cardinals and the Texans went in with. The, right. the trade has been made look even more bizarre with Michael Irvin's comments about Bill O'Brien after the fact. Um, but what makes... So if the Cardinals the entire offseason, like on our last podcast we were talking about, it's all about receivers, right? You've got Andy Isabella and um, Hakeem Butler on the roster. You can't possibly know that those guys are going to be solid contributors for you going forward. At that point, it's Larry Fitzgerald and, and almost nothing else. You've got to get weapons for Kyla Murray. And it was, do they do that in free agency? Do they do it in the draft? Do they roll into the draft being left needing the wide receiver? We didn't see this coming, which is a trade for one of the best receivers in the NFL. Now, the trade for him in and of itself would have been a real coup. It would have been an excellent move, undoubtedly a better way of spending a first round pick than drafting one of the top receivers in the game just for the certainty factor. But they didn't even have to do that. They not only traded for him, but they did it the make weight was getting rid of the running back with the bloated contract that they wanted rid of in the first place. Like getting rid of David Johnson's contract would have been a positive move in isolation, getting rid of his contract and getting new Hopkins back in exchange with a bit of extra noise either way in terms of draft picks. That is like, it's an absolutely absurd move. It is a move we said it last time. It's a move that would have been vetoed in fantasy leagues. It is a move that's so lopsided that you can't even find the logic of what one team was attempting to do. Like, this is the most one-sided ass-kicking of a trade that the NFL has made dating back to, like, the Ricky Williams for your draft. Wow. And now we're sitting here a day later, you had Stephon Diggs get traded. Yeah. First, fourth, fifth, and sixth. Right. And I, I tried to go back and say, OK, well, is there something with New- like it's not like Nuke is aging. So I'm trying to compare Hopkins to Diggs. Like what would be the difference in compensation? And they're both locked up for the next few years at a pretty reasonable price for a top end receiver. Though Nuke's, I would say Nuke's both of them probably want a new deal. He, w- he would want a new deal. So you're going to have to pay him a little bit more. Uh, Nuke's a little bit older. But I mean, the one and, and you know, the thing about Hopkins He's the guy – like, he doesn't separate that well, Sam. We always talk about we want guys that separate mm-hmm. good route runners or whatever. Um, he separates well enough, great in contested situations, but he has trumped all of that because he's been successful with everybody. Brandon Weed and Brock Osweiler, yeah. rookie Deshaun Watt, doesn't matter. He's been awesome. And the whole deal with the Texans has been you have to find a compliment to him when Will Fuller gets hurt, and if you do that, you've got that explosive passing offense – that we should that we're all trying to achieve here during the offseason, Sam. Like that when we're team building here during the offseason, it's how do we have an explosive offense and how do we stop explosive offenses? Right? And Nuke's like one of the most valuable pieces in the NFL at starting that. And they traded it for almost nothing. So um so for your favorite moves the Cardinals piece of that, right? Uh my Yeah. Getting getting one of the best receivers in the game and doing it in exchange for a player you wanted rid of in the first place is amazing you couldn't have possibly asked for something like that is that's like asking for something absurd at christmas and getting something even better um my favorite move is from the 49ers perspective trading DeForest buckner for a first round pick i just think that 
if you could start looking at moves from a macro point of view and understand that the 49ers spent the seventh overall pick on Buckner, got four years of awesome production out of him, and then when they had to pay him, they got the 13th overall pick in exchange for him. That is incredible long-term business, especially because they're, they're going to have some financial decisions anyway. They, they probably wouldn't be able to lock him up on that loaded defensive line. They did lock up Eric Ar- uh, Armstead. Bosa is going to be up in probably two years. And, you know, you don't want to, you can't spend $20 million per player on the defensive line. You just can't do it. So having that type of foresight and taking a team that was in the Super Bowl last year, it's so tough to get back there in the NFC. And now they have two first round picks. I mean, that is, I think that's spectacular business, even though, yes, you lose a very good player. Uh, but again, an, an impact, but a lower impact position on the defensive interior. So I like that a lot for the 49ers. It's good business. Yeah, and them them kind of stockpiling those first round interior slash you know potential edge guys on the the same position essentially for multiple straight years finally kind of paid yeah. off in terms of being able to flip one for basically the same as you paid yeah, for. Yeah, I really like that. How about your your least favorite move other than the Texans and uh, trading Nuke? So uh, this is kind of what I'm saying is that we we in, we're in this position where offensive lines any offensive line that was awful a season ago does not have that many options and not that many places to go. It wasn't a great um, free agent outlook heading into the free agency in terms of offensive linemen so if you needed like a complete overhaul you're in trouble right you need to do something and the jets answer to this has just been depressing like they've been like okay we probably need like five new starters on the offensive line so let's just start plugging in bodies and like when you're bringing in okay if if george fand ends up being one of the people you're forced to start on the offensive line in 2020 I feel bad for you. That's a bad place to be in. Unlucky. My heart goes out to you. God bless. Right. But don't pay him big money to do that. Like you can get a George fan. Trust me when I tell you, you can get a George fan pretty much anywhere at any point in time without having to pay him $30 million or whatever they're paying him. Like George fan. So I, I tweeted this and a lot of people got upset because technically he wasn't benched. He just got injured and never got his job back. But George fan lost. Like through blood a, yeah, George Fant lost a starting job on one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL and couldn't get one back. That in and of itself should be telling you not to spend big money on him. Yeah, I, I got a George Fant stat for you. Um, since 2017, this is on PFF.com, early winners and losers. He's played, he, he actually made do. He, made, he did pretty well as a sixth tight end over the last couple of years. They've done a nice job with him there. As a sixth tight end, as a sixth offensive lineman, as an ex, as a playing tight end, he's had 454 snaps at tight end, and he's only played 477 snaps at tackle during that time, where he's picked up a 47.6 grade when yeah. he's played tackle. So as a sixth offensive lineman, he's done pretty well. He even caught a pass in space, right? That one time was that him, <laughs> right? I mean, he's a good athlete. The Seattle Seahawks continue to take these good athletes who don't play well for the Seahawks. And then they hit free agency and sign big contracts. Hello, J.R. Sweezy. And, you know, their whole strategy of, like, draft a guy and just develop him. For Seattle, it doesn't pay off because you're stuck with the four years of terrible play. And then he goes and gets paid, and it's like, all right, now what do I do? Grab another guy and develop, uh, have him play terribly for four years? Like, I don't know. Uh, I don't like that move at all. I do think that the NFL is just straight up saying. So that was one of my least favorite moves, just the Jets signing fans. 
Uh, Vitae going to the Lions. So, Eric Flowers going to the Dolphins. Just bad yeah, old. It's not like it's not the worst contract in the world. Like he's it's like fifteenth or something in terms of average per year. But he basically signed the same contract money wise that Andrew Whitworth signed, right? And it was the same. Yeah. It's the same length as well, right? Whitworth signed for three years, despite being like one hundred and twenty-two years old. So, like that's your choice, right? Do you want a tackle who is awful? who is young and awful for the same money right. as a guy who's old as time itself, but is still playing at a really high level. Like not, none of these are like you're none of these are stumbling into Joe Thomas as the solution to your left tackle problem. But one of them actually makes you better. And you know, the negative shouldn't be a crushing problem. And the other one might actually make you worse from one of the worst situations in the NFL and it, it costs the same money. It's just it's just bad. Like, if you're stuck in this situation, it is an awful spot to be in. But don't compound the problem by throwing more money at it. Yeah, don't love it there. Uh, the other move I really didn't like, Bears signing Jimmy Graham to, like, real money. Yeah, um, right. Jimmy Graham has looked cooked for three years now. And I, yeah. I was joking that last year was the year of the slow tight end. Jason Witten, Ben Watson, and all the Patriots tight ends. Jimmy Graham, it just felt like. Slow tight head still lurking around. So Jimmy Graham to the Bears to be tight end number nine on their current depth chart. So uh, anyway, there's so much stuff that we can hit on. We'll get into way more detail next week. We'll be back on Monday with the PFF NFL podcast. And then Thursday again, we'll hit up AFC and NFC uh, next week. Recap what your teams did, what we like, what we didn't like. But um, again, get to PFF.com. Promo codes NFL2020, NFL2020. Get 25% off every PFF subscription all right, Sam, you and everybody stay safe over there. Make some good decisions. You too, Steve. Better than your team did. Thanks, man. See you guys. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.